0: We're going to do something a little different uh, this morning, just for one week. We're kind of in between sermon series, and I think I've shared with you before, I get very excited when the new year rolls around, so I love January 1st, not just for the college bowl games and stuff like that, but I kind of like time to start a new diet, you know, start over. The the old is gone, the new has come, you know, that kind of thing. A new Bible reading plan, forget mistakes and days you might have missed, starting over, I kind of think of the church year a little bit like that and September rolls around. We get past Labor Day and it's time to start uh, community groups again and new choir season. I told, I said in the first service, Carl is taking one or 15. Whatever chooses, volunteers who want to help out, he'd be glad to, you know, take you there. Uh, Women's Bible study has started up. Wednesdays at 10 o'clock, Titus 2 groups. If you don't know what a Titus 2 group is, see Jamie Williams. She'll tell you what a Titus 2 group is. All of that, all sorts of stuff. It just has a new energy to it, a new feel. I like that. I'm kind of, I like, you know, I can't get new cars every year, so I might as well get excited about new church year, that kind of stuff. And so, one of the things I want to do, being it's a new church year, we're starting uh, afresh with all the groups and stuff, is get us on the same page, talking the same language, if you would, regarding what I will call the philosophy of ministry, or the vision and mission of the church. Now, you're already looking at me like with deers, looking into a head, like, what? No, philosophy of What? Is this about Kierkegaard? No, no Kierkegaard, nothing like that. Here's what I mean in terms of that, okay? Picture yourself walking into an ice cream shop, okay? You walk into a Baskin-Robbins, and it's an ice cream shop. First service, I made a mistake. I said it was 31 flavors. Connie Thiel told me, no, we're over 1,000 flavors. I said, that's better for my illustration, okay? What we believe, our beliefs, our doctrine, if you would, is like ice cream, okay? You've got to have the correct doctrine, or you can't even get, you know, you can't even get off the plate. You can't even, you're not even started, okay? It's like going into an ice cream shop, you're expecting ice cream, and they offer you liver and onions. Wrong doctrine. You walk in, and you get liver and onions, not going to do. But each church, if a church has its correct doctrine, you're in the ice cream, there's a thousand flavors. And what the flavor is is is, and this is what philosophy of ministry is, it's all about application. If your doctrine, your beliefs, is what you believe, philosophy of ministry has to do with how you go about applying that belief. Tim Keller, who was my faculty advisor at seminary, he put it this way. He says, a philosophy of ministry is basically, how do we be a biblical church? See, there's your doctrine and your beliefs. How do we be a biblical church in our particular context? So for us, how do we apply the message of the Bible in Volusia County, Florida, in the year 2015? It means we have to pay attention to time and place and people and the gifts of me and the gifts of you and all of those types of things. Why is this important? Well, Jesus prayed for the unity of his people. As a matter of fact, just prior to facing the greatest trial of his life, going before the cross, going into the Garden of Gethsemane, John chapter 17 was his high priestly prayer. And what does he pray for? And I think this reveals something about the heart of Jesus and what he prioritized. He prayed that the church would be one. He says to the Father, as you and me are one, and as the Spirit in me are one, and as the Spirit in you are one, as we are the mystery of the Trinity, one God in three persons, and completely unified, completely one, I pray that for my people. I pray that they would be one. And I want us to know, I want us to experience unity and community, I want us not just to have unity in our beliefs, and remember I said, not just, we have to have that that's that 's a non-negotiable, but see what 's it like if somebody comes into the church and there's unity of beliefs? We believe the same thing, and then people are going, "Well, what flavors your ice cream, and one person's going rocky road and another person's going peach and another person's going uh, pralines and cream or whatever that kind. I like pecans and praline, by the way. Uh, You know, all these different... We need to have a similar flavor. Here's the flavor of Spruce Creek Church. That's what I'm preaching on today. Based around our... We're an ice cream shop. The doctrine is reformed. the Reformed tradition, as expressed in the Westminster Confession and Catechisms. The flavor, though, is around a word. Discipleship. Living out of the gospel... In the church, in the community, and in the world. Jesus gave us a commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. I don't know about you, but I want to be a simple person, very plain in the way I speak. What is a disciple? Were you paying attention to what Al read? Simplest way of describing and summarizing a disciple. A disciple is one who loves God, loves one another, and loves his city, his community. Loves the world. We want to live out of the gospel, loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. And what is a church? A church is a community of disciples, loving God, loving one another, and loving our city, loving our community. And just like in our flavor of ice cream here at Spruce Creek, Matthew 28 is the Great Commission. That's a key passage describing it. Mark 12, the passage Al read, very key passage describing what a disciple is. We want to look this morning at a third key passage that is very central to what does it look like to be a community of disciples that loves God, loves one another, and loves our city. And that's Acts chapter 2. So turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2 verses 41 to 47. And I've re- even before I've read, I've given you the outline. You should be able to say it with me by now. It's very simple. Loves God, loves one another, and loves our city, loves our community. Living out of the gospel in the church, in the community, and in the world. That's what we want to be all about. That's the heart of what it means to be a follower or disciple of Jesus Christ. And here's Luke. Luke's the author of this. He's the one who narrated this, okay, he narrated this. This is a description of the early church community. Let me make a quick point on this before I read this. Some people will view this and say Pentecost, the day when God poured out the Spirit on that, they'll say that's the birthday of the church. No, that's not true. That is not The, the church was not born on that day. It would be incorrect to call Pentecost the birthday of the church. What happened at Pentecost was that the remnant of God's people... There was a new movement that was begun where the remnant of God's people became the spirit-filled body of Christ. And when we look at the evidence of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, this is what Luke describes. Luke is describing a spirit-filled, spirit-empowered community of people who love God, love each other, and love their world. Beginning in verse 1, he says, So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes... They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. All right, one of the things in terms of the flavor of the church is I do want us to, as best we can, speak the same language. A disciple in Acts chapter 2 is a community of disciples. A movement of discipleship are those who first and foremost love God. And in this passage, one of the things we see is how that love of God is shown, and it's shown especially in two areas. It's shown, first of all, in worship. The community that has been captured and filled with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit is a worshiping church. They were devoted to worship. I want you to notice a couple things. Look at the text with me here in verse Forty-two, when it says, "And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the the definite article the before breaking of bread and the prayers." I think Luke is being very personal, purposeful there in the text when he uses the definite article, because he's giving reference to the Lord's Supper, a part of worship, and probably to prayer services, prayer meetings that were held, as well as private prayer. Because later on in the passage, he's going to talk about how they were always getting together in each other's homes, so they were praying together there. So here in the beginning, he's talking in that more formal sense of the worship of the church. Now, I want you to notice two aspects of the community's worship that we see here. First of all, and both of these aspects exemplify its balance. This, to me, is absolutely remarkable. Was the church here formal or informal? Yes. They were both. They met together in the temple courts and in their homes. They were structured and they were unstructured. Secondly, was their worship joyful or reverent? Both. Verse 46 says they had glad and sincere hearts. Verse 43 says that everyone was filled with a sense of awe and wonder. I love what PCA pastor Scotty Smith says. He puts it this way. He says, when we come to worship, may we be filled with a sense of gospel astonishment. I pray that for us every week, that we would be struck, that we would be galvanized, that we would be thunderstruck with a sense of, as a matter of fact, it drives me crazy if we think of the concept of grace as ho-hum, if grace ever becomes, oh, yeah, God, Jesus died for my sins so that I could, and it becomes ho-hum to our hearts, God forbid that it ever become ho-hum, the fact that God would send his son and give his son to bear our iniquities, to bear the judgment of God, and not only to, for us to escape punishment, but that the God of the universe wants to live with us forever, that he actually loves you and adores you and embraces you, that he sings and dances over you, God forbid that ever becomes ho-hum to us. The early church was struck by the grace of God. And that's what led them to have both, they were filled with wonder and joy. You know, are we Presbyterian or charismatic? Who knows? We're joyfully reverent. Grace bowls us over. And this is a holy God. A community of disciples is a worshiping church. See, think about what gospel astonishment looks like. it means. It means that they know God is doing a work in their midst. that God see, what is Christianity in the gospel? It is that God has come to you. He knows you can't come to God. He comes to you, and it causes humility and wonder. See, think about something for a second. What happens when we worship? See, just think about worship structured and unstructured. We did the structured part this morning. We called on God. We asked him to grant us his presence that we could declare his glory. We sung his praises. We asked him to meet us and visit us. We confessed our sins. We confessed our unbelief and our pride and our envy and our arrogance. We received his forgiveness. See, in other words, we came back to the met. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, and I'm going to touch on that in a little more detail in just a second, but in terms of worship, I want you to see that this is what unifies them. They came back to the apostles' teaching time and time and time again. See, we can't underestimate how much this is needed today. If I could just apply this to, remember I said philosophy of ministries, how can we be a biblical church in our current context? You don't want to know what our current context is like in 2015? It is a world where we are continually bombarded by so many other messages. You know, it's not like I'm gonna send you from here and you're gonna go off to your village and you're gonna live with just your family and do that. No, you're gonna go and you're gonna probably go out to lunch and you have messages of people all around you. You're gonna go home and turn on the football game and there will be commercials, I wish there weren't, and they're gonna tell you buy this, do this, be consumeristic, be materialistic, messages. You're gonna go on your computer and you're gonna get on Facebook. And I'm not telling you not to do any of these things, but all I'm doing is telling you that means you live in a world where you're continually bombarded by not one, two, three, but billions of messages. Messages that say, here's what you need for love. Here's what you need for connection. Here's what you need for significance. Here's what you need for purpose. Here's what you need for meaning. A community of disciples is a church that's committed to the apostles' teaching which means in worship, we come back to the message. We come back to it saying it's the word of the gospel that defines us, that reworks us, that shapes us. It's the word of the gospel that's the authoritative narrative of our lives so that as I see the other messages, it's the word of the gospel, the apostles' teaching that keeps coming back. See, verse 42 and this is what it means to be the second aspect of it is not just a worshiping, but a learning church. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching, living out of the gospel. See, think about this. Who were the apostles? They're the ones closest to Jesus. They were the witnesses to the resurrection. They were giving the calling and the responsibility to interpret the life of Jesus, his life, his ministry, his teaching, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. They interpret the life of Christ and make it known to us. In other words, theirs was a foundational ministry. I keep coming back to Ephesians 2.20 that says, Consequently, you being the church, us are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, built on their message. Their message was what? Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So what was the apostles' teaching that the community was so devoted to? It was about the gospel. That's why our flavor here at Spruce Creek is to be gospel-centered. We want to live out of the gospel in every arena, every aspect of our lives. See, again, let's be honest about something. We all center our lives on something. The world tells us it's okay for you to be centered on something. Just don't impose it on us. Don't impose it on anybody. That's not the message of the cult. The message of the culture is it's okay to believe, but you keep your beliefs private. You don't ever impose your beliefs on anyone else. So for the early church, this community here in the book of Acts, the gospel was the authoritative narrative of their lives and communities. All other stories or narratives were interpreted in light of the gospel narrative. That was the message they were devoted to. That was the message they kept coming back to. That was what they centered on and interpreted all of life around. A church, a community, a disciple that loves God is a community that worships God and is gospel-centered, comes back to the message. It's a worshiping, learning church. It's also something else. It's a loving church. See, to love God, if you're going to center your life on the gospel, it's never going to let... You live in isolation. Centering your life on the gospel will lead outward to love one another. In the church and in the world. Let's look at first in the church. Loving one another. If you look with me at this text right after it says all came upon them. It says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. That word in common is the Greek word koinonia, The word koinonia comes from the word koinos, which means common. And very interesting, the New Testament is written in Greek. If you were to go back several hundred years before the New Testament was written, when guys like Plato and Aristotle were doing their writing, they wrote in a different type of Greek. Their Greek was more the classical Greek, much more formal. The New Testament Greek that Andrew is spending a lot of time studying these days as a seminary student And I go to Andrew for help these days, okay? The New Testament Greek is called koina Greek, the word common, meaning put out there in plain language for the people to understand. Koinonia, the word we get fellowship, means common life. It's the common life of the community, and it's the common life of the community in two senses. The first is what we share together. Do you want to know what we share together? We share God Himself. John wrote in his first letter, he says, Our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. And in 2 Corinthians 13, Paul says, We have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Koinonia, common life with God, is a Trinitarian experience. It is our common share. Do you realize? Can you see how essential it is that we're doing life? What does it say? They were all together, they did life together. And had all things in common. Because it's our common share in God. For some of us, maybe for all of us in some respect, we have more in common with our covenant family than we do with our biological family. Because not everyone in our biological family shares in the life of the Trinity. But if you look around you at your covenant family, they have the same thing living within you that you do. He's called the triune God. You're bonded. You're connected. That's part of your reality. But that reality, that what you share, you also share out. So it expresses not just what you have, but what you give. Part of the nature of it it says, all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, Luke is not meeting at the local Barnes & Noble giving a lecture on economic theory here. Okay? This is not a seminar on capitalism versus communism. Okay? Those are much later, centuries later categories that Luke was not thinking of. So get those thoughts completely out of your mind. Here's what Luke is doing. Luke is describing what happens to a community that has been captured by the life of God. A covenant community captured by their covenant God. And what he is saying is that is a community that views their material possessions differently, their resources differently. You know what the word repentance means, the word metanoia in Greek means? It means change of mind. And we have to have that change of mind about everything. Change of mind about God, change of mind about who he is, change of mind about ourselves, change of mind also about our stuff, a different mind about everything. And here's the first thing we have to recognize. Your stuff is not your stuff. You want to know how much you actually own? Nothing. We don't own anything. If we've been blessed with resources, God has blessed us with those resources so that we could be stewards of them, renewing our lives so that we could be a blessing to others. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds. They were loving one another. See, what Luke is describing here is generosity in sacrifice, not generosity in excess. If it sounds over the top, it's because it is. This is radical. This is over the top. And do you want to know why why it's over the top? It's because we have an over-the-top God. Remember I said this is koinonia that expresses out after koinonia, that's been expressed in. See, you share in the common life. That means you look at your brothers and sisters and you go, they have the common life. What I have is theirs. What they have is mine. And how do we become a community like that? It goes back to the message. It goes back to the apostles' teaching. Remember the context. Peter is standing up here on the day of Pentecost and he's preaching and explaining what's happening with the Spirit's coming. See, people are around, and they're going, this is strange. Tongues of fire lighting on everybody. We're hearing the wonders of God in our own t- What is happening here? Oh, we know the answer to that. They've been tipping the, tipping the drink a little bit early. That's what they've been doing. They turned on the football game, and they had a few too many beers too quickly. And Peter says, "Um, time out, you have it wrong. That's not what's going on here. And this sermon and this description is all in the context of he is explaining what the empowerment and the indwelling and the filling of the Holy Spirit looks like. And he says what it looks like is God's radical, over-the-top generosity. It looks like a God who is a God who comes to us to embrace us at the cost of his own son. God's love is incredibly generous, incredibly costly, incredibly radical, incredibly over the top. And it is in the midst of hearing and being embraced by God's generosity and love that they become a community of generosity and love. See, if we want to be a community that loves one another, a community of generosity and love, the answer is not me beating you up about it. The answer is not me telling you, you need to give more, you need to be, that is not the, that's wrong. If I ever do that, please hold me accountable. But here is the answer. The answer is me going back to the apostles' teaching and telling you with more depth and more passion and more love and hopefully more clarity. Of the fact of the creator of the universe, the one who you offended, the one who you were an enemy, the one from whom you deserve his justice and his punishment and his anger, decided and chose not to get angry with you, but instead to send a son and to give you an over-the-top embrace and a love, the kind of love that Zephaniah describes as him delighting in you, rejoicing over you with singing. That's the Apostle's message, and that's what we have to be gripped by, and, com- and that will produce a community of generosity and a community that does life together, a community that's committed to each other. Listen to how the Croatian writer Miroslav Volf put it. He says, inscribed on the very heart of God's grace. Now, that means the Apostle's teaching. And Volf is saying, inscribed on the very definition of The heart of God's grace is the rule that we can be its recipients only if we do not resist being made into its agents. What happens to us, grace, must be done by us. Having been embraced by God, we must make space for others in ourselves and invite them in, even our enemies. The apostles' teaching, the gospel message Living out of the gospel, being gospel centered, shows us this is what God does. He invites enemies in. You were his enemy, and he said, I don't want to just reconcile you to myself. I want to invite you in. You're in what C.S. Lewis called the inner circle of Trinitarian love and relationship. I'm inviting you into my household and my home. And Wolf says, inscribed on the very heart of that definition of grace is the principle and the rule that we can only be its recipients as we in turn become its agents. We're the agents of God's redemptive love. A church that loves God, loves one another, and can't help, we don't distinguish and make a dichotomy between who that one another is. That's one another in the church, and that's also one another in the world. We love our city. We love our community. How do we know that? Look at the text. Now, some of our English Bibles, I've got to be, I don't like how they put it, because What they do is they give you verse verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Then they insert a subtitle, non-inspired, by the way, called the Fellowship of the Believers, and they make you believe that verses 42 to 47 is kind of distinguished and separated from verse 41, whereas in the original, verse 41 begins the new paragraph, and verse 41 and 47 is kind of a bracket bracketing the whole that basically says a community of disciples where we're going and making disciples that are loving God, loving one another within the church and in the world is going to be an organically growing community. Those who received his word, which means Peter was preaching the word. See, evangelism is a corporate project. You have preachers, you have teachers, you have elders, you have Sunday school teachers, you have people who are we're in community groups, we're in classes. We're do- we are to be a light to the nations together, corporately, bearing witness to the grace and glory of God, to the apostles' teaching. And look at what the promise of God. There were added. Who did the adding? It wasn't the people? It was God. There were added that day about three thousand souls. Now that's interesting. Now, I'm not saying God wants us to be a 3,000-member church. That's not necessarily the point of this. But what is the point is so often I think we use it as an excuse. You know, we see things not growing, and here's what we do. And I do this too. God's not interested in quantity. He's only interested in the quality. You know, and basically what we're saying, God doesn't care about growth. Well, no, yes, he does. He doesn't want us to sweat over it. He says it's his deal. He'll work it out. The results are all up to him. But for us to sit there and say he doesn't care about it, you do realize Jesus said he summed up the heart of his mission in this. He says, I have come to seek and to save the lost. And if you think about the already and not yet that we talk about so often. And you think about what we do as disciples, loving God, loving one another, loving our city. And you think about things when the not yet is finally completed and it's consummated. So we're in glory. The new heavens and new earth come. And we're living truly the world to come, eternity. We're still going to be adoring God, worshiping God, aren't we? Loving God. We're still going to be loving one another, aren't we? There'll still be fellowship, yeah. We're still going to be learning, yeah. I can't wait for the time you really learn from Jesus all the meaning of this. I'm just doing the best I can here. You really are going to get the best theology, there's still going to be discipleship in that sense. Do you know what there's not going to be? Mission or evangelism. Jesus will be done seeking and saving the lost. That will be complete at the consummation. That will be done. Which tells you what does Jesus want to be about here and now. He wants to be about seeking and saving the lost. Don't throw out under an excuse of just, we're just going to love each other and get together. With just each other. No. Jesus wants you to love the community. Jesus wants you to love the city. Jesus wants you to love the world. Jesus is busy seeking the lost. Saving the lost. Are you on board with what he's doing? He's active seeking and saving the lost. And he's saying, I want to use Spruce Creek Church along with all other churches. That faithfully adhere to the true doctrine. We serve ice cream. But using our flavor, Jesus is saying, I'm seeking and saving the lost. Will you be a community with me? That is participating in that. Listen to this one quote, and then I promise I close. I get excited about vision and mission stuff. I'm sorry. A writer by the name of Harry Bohr in his book, Pentecost and Missions, puts it this way. He says, the Acts is governed by one dominant, overriding, and all-controlling motif. And this motif is the expansion of the faith through missionary witness and the power of the Spirit. Restlessly, the Spirit drives the church to witness, and continually, churches rise out of the witness. The church is a missionary church. I want to close with just two things. First of all, why do we struggle with these vision and mission issues, with issues of community and unity? First of all, recognize it is hard. If it weren't hard, Jesus wouldn't have prayed for it. And he wouldn't have made it his final prayer before going to the cross. And it's hard because our struggle, our real problem we have with unity and community goes back to two people centuries ago in a garden a long, long time ago. Their names, Adam and Eve. And what did they do? They pulled away from the embrace of God and sought the embrace of another. They pulled away from what God had to say, and they listened to another word. They listened to another teaching. They listened to another narrative. And what happens when you pull away from the message and listen to any other message is community falls apart. Community disintegrates when we pull away from listening to what God has to say and invest ourselves in the word of another When Adam and Eve listened to the word of the serpent rather than the word of God, what did they do? They hid. They felt guilt. They felt shame. They could no longer be vulnerable. They hated themselves. They blamed others. It was the destruction of community, and it was the birth of loneliness and alienation and isolation and victimization. And what's the solution? See, community is lost when we pull away from the message. What's the solution? Return to the message. Do you see why this passage is so hopeful? See, why it is tempting to think community just can't happen today. Let's despair and give up. But friends, we're forgetting the gospel when we do that. Peter's sermon that this is in the context of is all about God coming near and redeeming through the work of his son. Verse 37, I didn't print it, but... Peter says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They heard the message of Jesus. They returned. They were captured by God. And love for God, love for one another, love for the city was the fruit, was the result. Community erupts when God draws near. And that's our vision. That's our philosophy of ministry. Our ice cream, the Word of God, the doctrine expressed in the confession and catechisms. Our flavor, to be a church that lives out of the gospel, loving God, loving one another, and loving the world, loving our city. Simple. And the process for that, the strategy, how do we want to see this? I hope it's simple. I try to make it as simple as possible. Four R's, I think, that come out of this passage, reaching people for Christ. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved rooting them in the gospel. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Going to community groups, going to Titus 2 groups, going to women's Bible study ought to be for the purpose of rooting us in the gospel. Not for the purpose of just gathering information and becoming smarter intellectuals, but rooting us in the very power and presence of God. Rooting us in that strength of God. Reach, root, Then what do you do when you're rooted in the gospel? You have to be a steward of that gospel. You use your gifts for upbuilding the body. You are renewed in the gospel, stewarding your gifts to build up others. And then being released out into the world. Those who received his word, God uses the community. God uses the church being released. I don't know how many of you ever notice this, but when we leave, right below the clock and above the doors, is there a little sign? You are now entering the mission field. We want to see people reached for Christ. That means invite them to places like community groups and worship and Bible studies and reach out. Pray for your neighbors. Have a vision for reaching for God's reaching people. Have a vision corporately. Pray in your community groups for people who don't know Christ so that we could see we don't want to just evangelize, we want to make disciples, rooting them in the gospel. We want to see them be fully equipped disciples where they're renewed, living out their calling as worshipful beings, worshiping God by the use of their gifts, and then going right back. It's almost like a circle. Reach, root, renew, We want to send you out. We want to release you. You know, let me share with you a vision. I would love to see Spruce Creek become a 3,000-member church, but I want to see it in this form. I would love, and I might correct my math, I would rather, I'd love to see us be kind of 2,150-member Spruce Creek Presbyterian churches in Volusia County. What did Harry Bohr say with his book, Pentecost and Missions? The church is a missionary church.es and churches rise up out of the ashes, out of the witness of the Spirit. As we reach people, root them in the gospel, renew them, and release them. Do you realize Volusia County has a half a million people? I think Jesus is doing a lot of seeking and wants to do a lot of saving. And this is Jesus' will, not mine. He wants to use us. He wants to use his people individually. And corporately. That's our rocky road. That's our flavor. I hope we can be on the same page with unity and community, with our vision and mission and philosophy of ministry, being a biblical church in this time and place. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your word. We pray that we would be more and more a church that lives out of the gospel in our church in the city and in the world and we pray.